these seven principles for a healthy soul, as, as Rob writes, include uh, our identity. We have to know who we are in order for us to have a foundation for a healthy soul. Repentance, the idea of uh, this, this withholding uh, of, of turning to God and, and not seeking forgiveness of sins uh, for our own sins with Christ can be something that leads to an unhealthy soul. Overcoming family sin patterns. Uh, the family history, hey, what are the things that have been passed down from generation to generation that God wants to transform? Forgiveness, uh, the idea of extending and receiving that with others. Uh, last week, we talked about healing wounds. And this week, the, the depth of conversation continues. Take a deep breath, because today we're going to talk about overcoming fears. Yeah, that's, a, that's not a light topic, is it? Well, I'll be honest with you. It's, it's a heavy topic, and I wanted to lighten things up a little bit, and so this morning, uh, I would like a couple of volunteers. Um, we've got a can full of crickets in the back and a can full of worms. And no, we're not going to do Fear Factor this morning. Uh, I thought better of it, and our insurance policy does not cover accidental choking on worm guts. So, at any rate, fear is something that we recognize. In our society, we know they've made TV shows about it. They highlight it, and some people laugh, and some people cry, and fear is real. Instead of doing a fear factor thing, we are going to do a little quiz, and we're going to talk about phobias for a few minutes. Can you name the phobia? So you'll see some pictures. The pictures may or may not help you in this, and we'll start with some easy ones. Shout out the answer. What is claustrophobia? Anybody know? Just shout it out. Fear of tight spaces, correct. Fear of small spaces, something like that. Uh, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I know some very, very close people in my life who have some form of claustrophobia. It's a great God story. Okay, 10 seconds. Um, and she's not here because she's home with our two sick kids who had the flu. Miriam has had, my wife has had claustrophobia her entire life. And it was so bad, uh, and I didn't even know it existed. I took her out to go see Phantom of the Opera when we were dating. Because you know when you're dating, uh, you spend all kinds of money trying to woo the person, and then you don't do it ever again. <laughs> the only time I've, I say that because she's asked me, we need to go back. I go, it costs money, babe. <laughs> so I go to see Phantom of the Opera, and she freezes after the, the, the opera is over. And she said, I cannot move. She was frozen with fear because there were hundreds of people and she couldn't see an exit. Fast forward, we got married a couple years later. We took some youth on a trip. And uh, one of the students, he felt God just pulling on his heart and saying, hey, Miriam, I think I'm supposed to pray for you. And are you afraid of like, like tight spaces or anything? Because I think that's what God's telling me that, that he wants to free you from crazy. She goes, yeah. And so Ty Rutledge prayed for my wife. And from that moment on, that fear of tight spaces has diminished. She's not, you know, completely free from that, but she has found extending freedom in this. And she's not the person she used to be when it came to that. And I should probably take her back to the opera. Story time's over. All right, claustrophobia, fear of small spaces. Arachnophobia. Oh, how did you know? Because you saw the spiders or you saw the movie. Yes, fear of spiders. This one may be a little bit more difficult. Aerophobia. Fear of what? Fear of flying. You guys got it. Now we're going to get into some more difficult ones. Acrophobia. Okay, yeah. I was going to say fear of acrobats. No, it's fear of heights. Fear of heights. Acrophobia. Entomophobia. 
Fear of bugs. Yeah, yeah. All right. Oh, jeez, Louise. <laughs> she knows knows Latin and Greek. Astrophobia. You didn't see it. Okay, there you go. Maybe you did see it. Good job. Good job. Good job. Fear of lightning and thunder. All right. Glossophobia. My favorite. Fear of public speaking. All right. Emetophobia. Close. <laughs> fear of rides. All right, it all ties into, and I apologize, fear of vomiting. Yeah. Yes. Last one. Trypanophobia. Any phlebotomists in the room? Fear of needles. So I got my flu shot yesterday. Yeah, that was great. Um, my arm still hurts. The, the lady in front of me, she had a serious fear of needles. And as we're dialoguing, and she's just like, she had to talk because she could not convince herself to continue going forward unless her mind was busy. So we were just talking the whole time, and she's jibber-jabbering, and she sits down, she goes, oh, oh, oh. and she, she was genuinely afraid. Gave her the shot, she goes, that wasn't bad. I go, oh, you're fine. She goes, nope, I'm going to feel the exact same way next year. This is real. We have fears, and fears have power in our lives, right? Fear can be a difficult thing to recognize. Fear can mask itself as power, control, manipulation, anger, defensiveness, or action. Fear can manifest itself in many ways. When we see fear, we often can recognize it. However, in our own lives, we might see these manifestations of fear, power, control, manipulation, anger, defensiveness, or action, and not recognize that we are responding that way because of fear. Whether we see it or not, God does. He knows our heart, and I think that's why the single most common command in Scripture is do not be afraid or fear not, for I am with you. God knows His creation. He knows that we are weak, feeble, dirty, stinky, smelly sheep that would be lost without Him, yet we think we've got it all figured out. He says, fear not, for I am with you. When we give in to fear, when we continue to entertain fear, it does have consequences in our lives. And in Rob's book, he, he highlights a number of biblical examples of uh, the impact of fear. I'm just going to talk about three of them. The first one may be obvious to you, Numbers 13. In Numbers 13, we see how uh, Moses had the 12 spies that went into the promised land to give a report. And if you know the story, 10 of the 12 spies came back and said, they're giants. We're like bugs compared to them. There is no way that we could ever enter into this promised land and survive. They'll kill us all. They were afraid. Well, two of the spies came back and said, yeah, that's true, but God's with us. He's told us that He will give us this land. Let's go. They ended up not going in the land and wandered in the wilderness for 40 years as a result. Second one. 1 Samuel 13, we see Saul's sacrifice. Now, King Saul 
uh, was uh, the king that the people wanted. They said, God, give us a king, and they appoint, and God said, all right, this guy right here, Saul, he's a head taller than everyone else, handsome guy, strong man. God appointed him to be the king of Israel. And so you fast forward a couple of years into his kingship, and we see this story where there are 3,000 soldiers uh, in the army of Israel, and they are about to face the enemy. The enemy had 3,000 chariots. Now, in our warfare mentality, that's like 3,000 soldiers with rifles going up against 3,000 tanks. They are vastly outgunned in that scenario. As a result, as they stand on the, uh, the, the edge of the battlefield, they are scared to death. Samuel was the prophet appointed by God to be the, the go-between between God and man, if you will. And Samuel, his job, in essence, was to ask God for his blessing and ask God for victory. He would do so by offering a sacrifice. And every time Samuel would offer a sacrifice, God would say, yes, I'm going to give you victory, or no, I'm not. You all need to go over here. In this scenario, Samuel got word to Saul, said, I'll be there in seven days. And then I'll offer the sacrifice, and then God will give us the victory. Well, Saul and his men were scared, so they hid in caves. And on the seventh day, Saul looks out for Samuel, doesn't see him, and he takes matters into his own hands. And Rob writes this, he says, I wonder if Saul even knew that he was afraid. I wonder if he didn't just say, I have to act. I'm the leader I can't just sit back and do nothing. This is what leaders do. They take bold, decisive action. But sometimes we act in fear rather than wait on God in faith. Sometimes we rely on ourselves, our giftedness, our ingenuity, uh, rather than rely on God and His deliverance. And in this situation, when Saul said, I'm going to take matters into my own hands, he offered the sacrifice to God instead of Samuel. This was against God's law. Only the prophet and the priest could do this. As a result, he forfeited his future. So Saul offered the sacrifice, and as soon as he offered the sacrifice, Samuel came up, hey, it's day seven. I told you I'd be here on day seven. Saul, what have you done? No longer will you have the blessing of God on your life, but God is removing it. And it was this moment that Saul began to lose his authority in God. In essence, this is the moment when he lost his kingdom. There are consequences to living out and, and acting on our fear. The third is in Isaiah 7. It's the story of Ahaz and his enemies. So Ahaz was the king of Judah. And he had two main enemies that joined forces against him. And Ahaz was afraid. He was scared. The Lord sent him a prophetic word in Isaiah 7, 4. And it was this, be careful, keep calm, and do not be afraid. Do not lose heart. Ahaz received this word from God, and he was encouraged. And God said, do you want me to send you a sign to prove this? And, and Ahaz said, no, I, I trust you. God said, I'm going to send a sign anyway. And here in verse 14 of Isaiah chapter 7, this is the sign that God would send Ahaz. Through the prophet, he said, The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, 
You guys might have heard that verse before. We read it during Christmas season because not only was it a prophetic word for King Ahaz, but it was a prophetic word for all believers about the future coming of Christ. The prophet was giving to Ahaz, and he had a son, but it was also given to all of us as well. Emmanuel translated means God with us. So check this out. The word to Ahaz and the word to us through Jesus' coming is that when our circumstances seem greater than our God, we have to choose to trust Him because God is with us. The number one question in the heart of people for God is this. Do you love me? Or a variation, do I have value? Am I good enough? It's all centered around His acceptance and love in our lives. But the number one question in the heart of God for people is, will you trust me? Will you trust me? Settling this matter in our hearts is foundational for overcoming our fears. Why is that? Well, Rob says we can either act on fear or we can act on faith, but we cannot act on both. You either have a fear-based response or a faith-based response to your circumstances. Now listen, things happen and we feel fear. It's the acting on that fear. We can either act on fear or we can act on faith. He's not saying, hey, it's wrong to be afraid. It's how we take that fear and we act on it that can become sin or something that separates us from God. How many of you have ever been scared before? I see a handful of people who have no fear whatsoever. You guys are amazing and you are my heroes. Scared for the first time I rode a roller coaster. Scared for uh, the first time I had a bully come and try to pick a fight with me. Scared for the first time I, I failed a test and had to go home and tell my parents that I blew it. I mean, you name it, we can list hundreds of circumstances where we have felt fear. So acting on that fear, I hid the test for my parents. Acting on that fear, I fought the bully before he could get me. Acting on that fear, you know what I'm saying? It's the action that is what we're talking about. We can either act on fear or we can act on faith, but we cannot act on both. Well, how do we move from fear to trust? Do you trust me? Well, we rest in God's presence and peace. John 14, 27 says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Having God's peace in your life does not mean that everything is going to work out the way that you desire it to work out. Having God's peace is not determined or not dependent upon our circumstances. God's peace is linked to His kingdom, and in His kingdom, He knows the outcome of tomorrow. However, when we, when we face a fear, when we, when we look at fear and, and we we go, I, I need some peace here, God. What all we see is the fear in front of us. We can't see past it. We, we can't. We are blinded by it. And so the idea here is simple. It's 
You can either stare at the fear that's in front of you, or you can turn back and look at the peace that God has given you as He's brought you through circumstances in the past. That image is burned into my brain because I tend to want to see what's in front of me. I want to see past you know, the, the barrier. I want, to, I want to move past what's in front of me. I want to know that tomorrow is going to be okay. I want to know that these things are set. It has to do with my desire to control. My desire to control is an extension of my fear. Because if I can't figure out what's going to happen next, then how can I move forward? Act in faith, not in fear. Do you trust me? Jesus asks. Do you trust me? But God, I want it to look this way. I want you to give me this result. Do you trust me? But God, do you trust me? I love what Rob says here. He says, there are sick people we will pray for that are going to die. There are marriages we pray for that are going to break up. There are children we pray for who are going to continue to rebel. But nothing can separate us from God's love for all eternity. This is in Romans 8. And while everything may not turn out the way we want, the love of God is enough to sustain us and grant us peace. 1 John 4.18, there is no fear in love. Perfect love drives out all fear. How do we move from fear to faith or fear to trust? You rest in His presence and peace. Why? Because His love is enough to sustain us and grant us peace. There is no fear in love. When Jesus Christ was born, He was given the name Emmanuel, God with us. That name is more significant than just an identifier of who He is. That name is a promise to us that God is with us no matter what circumstance we face, no matter how much fear or anxiety or worry we entertain, God is with us. Fear, it it strikes the foundation of our value, who we are. If if our fear, in in our fear, we, 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 we focus on our self-worth, our self-preservation, our, our status with other people. When we focus on these things, it, it twists in our minds the idea of who we are and where our value comes from. I'll be honest with you, as I'm thinking through this, I go, God, what are some of the fears in my life that, that I can recognize? Heights? No, I, I kind of like heights, like roller coasters. Can't wait to bungee jump someday or jump out of an airplane. Would that be awesome? Okay, Spiders? Maybe I mean, little ones that I can squish, not a big deal. But when some, you know, when one's right here, it's like your heart's racing. And some of you guys are like that's nothing. I eat spiders for breakfast. Well, fear's not a factor for you. All right. Well, what are my fears? One of my deepest fears is the idea of, and it's all wrapped up of, of re- being rejected, not being good enough to to let people down. And so this, this understanding that exists is real. What are, what are the things that I fear? I fear rejection. Now, I've worked through this in my life, but it's still a part of who I am, and it's still something that I know I can lean into. 
where I can respond or act in fear or I can respond or act in faith. What used to be the determining factor in my value, do you like me? Am I good enough for you? Do you love me? Now is irrelevant because I have God's love. As much as I may want this relationship or want to to be who you, you want me to be or as much as I want to not let you down, I recognize that I'm God's son and I'm already accepted. And if I'm following his lead, these things aren't as important. They matter, but this is more important. Ultimately, for us to to begin to conquer our fears, we have to surrender them to God and trust Him. Rob says, until we shift from trusting good results to trusting God in bad results, (laughs) we don't really trust God at all. There are things that I wish I never read, and this is one of them. You just called me out. Until we shift from trusting good results, getting what I want, getting my expectations met, getting things done the way that I think they should be done, until we shift from trusting this to trusting God no matter what the circumstance, we don't really trust Him at all. Well, no, I trust God and He meets my needs. I trust God, He provides for me. I trust God and therefore this is the, I get good stuff in my life. No, this is not the health and wealth gospel. There, there is a connection to obedience and blessing. Don't get me wrong. But God doesn't say, follow me and I'll give you all of your heart's desires. Do you trust me even when things are falling apart? Okay, that is a true test of trust. We've got to make that shift. Oftentimes, our fear is connected to our woundedness. Listen to me, the, the desire to control, the desire to, uh, to, to smash our enemies into oblivion, the desire to respond with anger, the desire to, to manipulate people to get what you want, all of these things are byproducts of a greater issue. Fear is a response to something that's not in alignment within your own heart. When we enter into fear, and I'm not talking about the fear of spiders, the fear of heights, I'm, th- those things are... are Not at all what we're talking about. We are talking about the fears that are connected to our core value, who we are, our identity, what other people think about us, all these things, all of those fears, the fear of failure, the fear of of letting people down, the fear of, of being shown as a fraud. All of these things are connected to our identity, but they come from a place of woundedness or brokenness. We don't just develop this overnight. Our fears, our worries, our anxieties, they come from something. And the desire is that we have to understand the root cause of our fear in order to be able to hand it over to God and rest in His peace. Fear is a secondary response to something deeper. I was hurt in the past, and so I'm going to be on the offensive, and I'm going to hurt other people before they can hurt me. Fear can be connected to bitter roots we hold on to. They did this to me, and I have my value and my worth in my anger towards them. If I let go of this anger, then all that was for nothing. Fear can be connected to our own sinfulness or our family sin patterns of, if they find out the truth, then I will live in shame. 
And so I must stay hidden. The more we give in to fear, the more the grip of bondage gets tighter in our lives. We must bring all of these, fear, bitterness, lack of forgiveness, sin, etc., into the light so that God can begin to bring restoration. So that we can begin to have peace. Oh, man, I, I know what it feels like to have worry and anxiety. I think about things sometimes uh, too much, right? Have you ever been in that place where you've, you've been in your head and you just couldn't get out of your head? Anybody? Okay, again, I see some handshakes and some eyes and some heads nodding. All right, fear, and it, I repeat myself often. The reason I repeat myself is because what I'm about to say is important. And for me personally, it was a revelation that changed the way I think. A good friend of mine said, fear is the language of hell, or anxiety rather, is the language of hell because it causes us to feel emotions for things that have not happened. And in all reality, they probably won't happen. It's the person who is driving in the car, uh, and <laughs> this actually happened to uh, my pastor friend. He, he was telling the story of a woman who was, came in for counseling with her husband, and, and she said, we were driving, and, and his driving just scares me so much, I started weeping. He said, what's wrong with you, honey? She goes, I just saw the death of our children because you're such a bad driver. He's like, we don't have any kids. She was allowing her fear and anxiety to play out scenarios that were not reality. When we give ourselves over to fear and anxiety, we feel emotion. We, we spend and invest time and energy into things that are robbing us from life. And so understand this, that when Jesus says, hey, I don't want you to be a slave to fear. I died so that you could be free. It's for this very purpose. Among other things, you are freed from the, the, being a slave to fear. What does it mean to be a slave to fear? To give your time, your energy, and your emotions to something that doesn't even exist. Fear is a thief. It is a thief. And I don't want you to keep getting robbed. You may or may not be able to recognize fear in your life. This was kind of one of those, huh, I never thought of it this way. I know when I'm afraid of something because of how I respond to it, when I respond in fear. But what about the times when we respond with impulsiveness or like King Saul I have to act because I'm a leader and that's what I have to do. I can't let my people down. When you respond in anger, is it because you have a root of fear? When you respond in compulsiveness, is it because there's a root of fear? How do we know if fear exists in our lives? Well, there's some indicators, some really simple ones. The first is... Um, the idea of the fight, flight, or freeze response. When we feel that adrenaline rush in our hearts or in our, in our minds and our bodies, that's normally an indicator that something is wrong and you have to make a choice. Now, I feel that way. I remember, you know, somebody you know, calls you up and says, hey, pastor, we need to talk. And I'm like, okay, uh, they, they hate my guts. What did I do? And you feel this, and as soon as they walk in the room, it's that rush of adrenaline, and it's like, hey, I just need you to pray for me. <laughs> okay, but my response, that's my issue, not theirs, right? And so this idea of the fight, flight, or freeze response, 
oftentimes it's, it's initiated because of a fear in our lives. If you can recognize it, then you have the ability to maneuver through it. Rob also says that you can recognize when you pick up an emotional shield. What does he mean by that? He says we pick up these shields when we find ourselves in a vulnerable state. These shields have different names, anger, power, control, manipulation, silence, defensiveness, withdrawal, just to name a few. He says this, these shields are indiscriminate. They don't not only block out the person hurting us, they also block out God from healing us. I've talked with hundreds of people over the years who have been hurt and wounded, and their response has been to build up walls. And they make vows and promises, I will never allow this to happen to me again. And they build barriers between them and other people for their own protection, they think. But when we build these barriers, it doesn't just keep the bad out, it also keeps the good out. We, we don't have the ability to, to lean into trust and, and friendship and companionship and, and relying on other people. Because we make ourselves self-sufficient or sometimes we, we drag our family into our wall with us and go, now we're safe. It's like the movie The Croods. You know, if you've ever seen that movie, this cartoon where the cavemen, they never leave the cave because, you know, it's, they might die. You know, the idea is simple. When we insulate ourselves from the world, we're also insulating ourselves from God and what He wants to do in our lives. Don't let fear be a roadblock between you and God. In order to get to the roots of what's going on, we must lay down our shields. So Rob gives us some guidelines, principles, if you will, overcoming fear. How do we overcome fear? He says this, number one, start with worship. There are only two times we worship. When we want to and when we don't want to. When we feel like it, when we don't feel like it. Oftentimes, when we don't feel like it, that's when we need to worship the most. Again, the idea is simple. When all we see is what's standing in front of us, the, the source of our fear, our worry, or our anxiety, or if you're not aware that this is fear-based, the source of our anger, our bitterness, our resentment, when all you see is what's in front of you, you are not able to thank God for how He's delivered you in the past. Every single one of us in this room, and I don't know everyone's story, but I do know this because I know my God. Every single one of us has been delivered from something. God, we've experienced His hand of protection. We've experienced His, His guiding hand leading us into His will. If you are in this room, I know that you have at least heard His voice or felt His presence leading you or guiding you in some way, shape, or form. One of my biggest anxieties is about providing for my family financially. This is rooted in my growing up experience of not having enough. You ask my kids about you know, my thriftiness, and they're like, yeah, Dad, he's cheap. <laughs> I go, I'm not cheap, I'm thrifty. Um, but I know that my fear of financial provision for my family is based on past woundedness. All I ever need to do when I feel this fear is turn around and go, okay, God, let me count the ways in which you have taken care of my needs and the needs of my family. It's all we ever need to do. God, I feel this way. Well, turn around and let me remind you of how I've delivered you in the past. 
Begin with worship, even if you don't feel like it. But God, this person, you don't know what they've done. Yeah, I do. I'm God. I know exactly what they did. Let me show you how I've delivered you from the wounds of others in the past. Begin with worship, especially if you don't feel like it. How do you, this is again, this, these are guidelines in overcoming fear. You don't want to overcome your fear, then just forget everything I'm about to say. But if you recognize, man, I want to walk in freedom, I don't want to be a slave to fear, I'm giving you a roadmap to enter into that freedom. Start with worship. Number two, choose a gentle response. <coughs> Excuse me. Oh, man. I think I just lost it. <clears throat> Take a deep breath. <clears throat> Can somebody get me some water? That was painful. Look at that. Look at that. Unopened bottle. Johnny on the spot. <coughs> Thank you. You don't want this back, Matt. Choose a gentle response. <clears throat> what do I mean? The impulse reaction is often very quick and very sharp. When we choose to begin with worship, it enables us to be humble in our responses. Instead of picking up the shield of defensiveness or the shield of anger or bitterness, choose to lay those down and go, you know what? I'm just going to choose to be patient. I'm going to choose to be patient. Let me see what's going on here. Understanding our, our feelings, understanding what's going on. Fear causes us to react quickly and impulsively, this, this fight-or-flight response. Choose a gentle, humble response. Number three, remember the Lord's presence and fix your eyes on Jesus. This, this was one of those things that I've always known, but seeing it connected here was, was very powerful for me. His name shall be called Emmanuel. Let me give you a sign that you don't have to be afraid. What is the sign? God is with us. God is with us. It's like the, the kid on the, the playground when a bully or a group of bullies pick a fight with him and then all of a sudden this, this massive bodybuilder comes up in the defense of the kid and the bullies run away in fear. That's the reality of us and God. We can enter into any situation knowing that God is with us. It's not about, hey, I'm going to win this fight as much as it is God's going to take care of me. He's going to take care of me. In all reality, that promise, we get so fixated on the here and now, the present. God's going to meet my needs and it's going to look like this. Well, no, it may not look like that. God's going to meet your needs in eternity. That's why people die. It, it happens. We, we pray for people. God, you're going to heal them. They ended up, God met their needs and he can meet yours. This life is temporary. This is not the eternal Remember the Lord's presence and fix your eyes on Him. Peace is a byproduct of fixing our eyes and our mind on Christ. No one is forcing you, holding your eyes wide open, and making your head fixate on that which is causing you fear or anxiety. You choose to do that. No one is forcing you to. And so when you feel overwhelmed, when you feel this, 
this drain of life and energy on you because you can't see past this, you have a choice to make. You can keep focusing on what's in front of you or you could fix your eyes on Him. It's a choice. It doesn't mean that the answers come immediately, but it means when you're fixing your eyes on Christ, you're able to then believe Him when He says, I'm with you, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. We choose that which we fix our eyes upon. Number four, overcoming our fears will involve redemptive suffering. Oh, that's a fun one. We could spend hours talking about what is redemptive suffering. Oftentimes when we experience pain or fear or anxiety, we don't enter into the fight. We enter into the flight. We, we hide. We, we numb our minds. We do everything we can not to focus on whatever it is that's in front of us. How do we numb things out when suffering comes? Well, overeating, drinking, uh, living in fantasy, living in lust, living uh, out any form of addiction, uh, escapism. I mean, I remember telling my wife, hey babe, when, I, when we first got married, I was, not a, I was not a good husband. I needed about two or three hours a day just to veg. What? I just need to, this is how I, I, I decompress, I veg, I just don't think. Two or three hours a day, that's not healthy. It's not healthy at all. We've limited down to 15 minutes. I just need 15 minutes to reset. Okay, that's healthy. That, that's doable. But I'll tell you what, I lived in escapism. Of I, just, I just need to, to not think. I need to veg out, I need to do this. And I was a zombie on Sundays. You know, I'm like, hey, we've got two football games, then we've got a night football game, and, and all I want to do is just exist in nothingness. Overcoming our fears will involve redemptive suffering instead of embracing the numb, take our suffering to God. Go to Jesus instead of the suffering, or the, instead of the lust, instead of the gluttony, instead of the drinking, instead of the addiction, instead of the zoning out, let His love and peace comfort you. Redemptive suffering is not escaping from the suffering. It's saying, God, how can you redeem this? I trust you. Next, he says, overcoming your fears will involve surrender. So much of our battle with fear comes down to this one question, will you trust me. It's the idea of moving from the why to the how. And we talked about this a couple of weeks ago where we, we can look at a situation or a circumstance and we can blame God. Why did you let this happen? Why would you allow this, this difficult situation to take place in my life or in the life of somebody I love? Why, why, why? I need to understand why. And we live in a fallen world. Instead of asking the why question, God, how are you going to redeem this? I trust that you can and that you will. Show me how. What are you going to do and how can I join with you in this? It's a matter of taking the fear and laying it at the foot of the cross and saying, God, I choose not to hold this anymore. And finally, in this one, he says, overcoming your fears always involves action. In faith, you need to act in the opposite direction of your fear. My temptation is to 
to do this. No, I need to respond in the exact opposite way. I don't need to defend myself. I don't need to, to uh, act on this fear. I need to act on this relationship. I need to rest in your peace and your presence and your love. But overcoming fear does not involve you and I doing nothing. There is a turning that needs to take place, and it's a turning to Him. Rob says, courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is doing what is right in the face of fear. And you may have heard this quoted different ways in the past. But I'm going to ask you a couple questions as as I invite the, the worship team to come back up. I want you to close your eyes for a second. Guys, I'm a visual person. I, I, I just gravitate towards <laughs> pictures. So as you close your eyes, I want to ask you this. Are you aware of your fears? Can you name them? Can you name them? For me, as I think about this, I, I see like a box that comes up and, and it has my fear written on it. Uh, and again, I, I shared with you a lot of my fears are centered around uh, relationship and uh, the idea of, of letting people down or the idea of not being good enough or the idea of the approval of man. And so I would just label that box rejection. You don't need to share your responses out loud, but can you see them? Can you look? Do your fears have a name? Pause for a moment and acknowledge them. Maybe later on it will involve you writing them down. What are your root fears? Second, how do these fears manifest themselves? What does it look like in your life when this fear is present? Do you get angry and respond with with just cursing? Do you feel shame and respond with hiddenness? Are you like me and and, and oftentimes you just want to escape and and you hide from that which is, is causing you fear or anxiety? How do your fears manifest themselves? How do they affect your relationship with God? If this fear or these fears were gone, what would that mean in your relationship with God? What would that free you up to do? How much more time and energy and emotional uh, well-being would you have to do the things that God has called you and invited you into? As you focus on your fear for another moment, how are those fears connected to the lies you believe about yourself and others? God is forever redeeming in my life the lie that I am not good enough. He is forever redeeming that. Are you ready to take those fears and surrender them in the Lord's presence. Are you ready to bring that into the light? Do you want to be free from that? The only way to be free is to bring it into the light and let His healing touch, His love, His presence, His grace, His mercy 
untangle that, that rat's nest that, that has been in your life for decades. He's already settled the answer, do you love me? <laughs> I love you enough that I sent my son. Oh yeah, his name, Emmanuel, he's with you. Now he asks you the question, will you trust me? Are there any other actions that God is inviting you to take in order to bring your fears into the light? Joshua 1.9 says this, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. This is a command to you and to me. And it's a command that comes with <laughs> that big bodybuilder on the playground standing behind you saying, nope, I'm with this one. You can't have him. You can't touch him. You can't have her. You can't touch her. She's mine. And all we need to do is to turn our eyes from the fear in front of us to the one behind us who says, I'm with you. Whatever actions God is inviting you to take, I encourage you to take them. Would you stand as we sing this song one more time and then we'll close in prayer.